Welcome to Fascinating Truth, where godly men suit up for the front lines of the battlefield. I'm your host, David Miles. You ready? Here we go. Here we are again, guys. Welcome back, and it's time to fasten some truth. Now, last week, we broke from our normal content to take a somber and sobering look at what is going on in current events. We discussed that in depth, and the reason was is because it clearly represents the reality of evil in our world, and it reinforces the idea that we need to be ready to resist the evil one because he is most certainly extremely active. That being said, this week we are back at it following our discussion on the armor of God. Now, technically, we did finish all the pieces of the armor in a couple of episodes ago. But you may remember that at the beginning of Fastening Truth, towards the beginning of the podcast, I did mention as we look for truth that it is important for us to look at the context and overall perspective of any passage of Scripture if we're going to have a critical and a full understanding of what the author is actually saying and what the scripture is actually teaching us. So when we began this discussion on the armor, we actually began by talking about the scope and focus of the entire book of Ephesians. As we started, just so that we understood where Paul has been as he begins this discussion, because they're not separate. It was all one letter. Okay, so if we're going to be faithful to that style, there's a word for that. It's called hermeneutics. It's the way that you pull things out of Scripture or exegesis, where we pull things out. I'll just throw a couple of those big words out there. But the bottom line is that we let Scripture dictate our understanding of God and of the world around us and of theological concepts. We do not allow our own personal conceptions to be brought into to interpret the Bible for it when it is very clearly telling us what it says. So if we're going to be consistent and do the same thing as we wrap up the discussion, we also need to see everything that Paul had to say about it and not discard anything. And as it turns out, as soon as we finished the classic pieces of the armor, even to and including the sword of the spirit, which we said is not technically armor, but is definitely part of it, Immediately, the very next verse, Paul mentions another powerful weapon at our disposal that we have access to. So it would be faulty and wrong of us to not go ahead and discuss that when we're discussing the armor. Since Paul saw it was important to go ahead and tack that on there at the end. So let's go ahead and head back to Ephesians 6 one more time. And this time to verse 18 as we wrap this up completely talking about this final weapon that Paul is going to refer to here. So in Ephesians 6, 18, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. All right, so what are we talking about? We are talking about prayer. Now, it's important to look because not only does Paul say that we need to pray at all times in the Spirit, he says we need to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So there's this idea of incorporating prayer in a complete and full way. So if we're being honest, Paul goes through all the pieces of the armor. 
He discusses them one by one, and they each represent these core concepts, these core tenets of the faith, these biblical Christian principles that just being a Christian requires you to adhere to. Now, especially in our case, we see that as armor, if we are going to stand up and be men of God, we have to be dressed in all of this to do battle. Because there are many Christians today who may have a piece here, a piece there. They're not ready. And us, the guys, the men that are going to step up and defend and be on those front lines and really fight the battle God has called us to fight, it's absolutely critical. But look at the wording that Paul uses here. He actually is telling us that we need to pray at all times and we need to be on alert with perseverance and petition. So there's this idea of being in prayer, communing in the spirit, and this idea of being alert. All of this wrapped into the idea of prayer. And it sounds like something that is even bigger, even more than just the pieces of the armor. This is something that has to pervade every aspect of who you are. So what we're referring to, as we said, the final piece, the final part is what we'll call it, not a piece, but a part in this discussion is prayer. And we need to take it seriously, not just for the wording, but Paul saw it fitting to include this at the end. And he's still been talking about faith, salvation, gospel, righteousness, truth, all these things, even the word of God itself, then he throws prayer in there and gives it this emphatic representation. It is a big deal. And we should see that from the way he presents it to us. Now, truth be told, on a podcast and on a group, if we really wanted to get into the depths of prayer, we could spend months talking about prayer in all of its facets and forms. Again, we are focused on a very specific thing right now. We're focused on prayer as a, in a more general sense, and we're going to be talking about what that is. So today, in an effort to focus us, because like I said, there's so much you could talk about we're going to stop, take a step back, and answer a couple of basic questions that you may or may not have ever stopped to really ask yourself concerning prayer. Now, I grew up in church, so prayer was something that I heard my whole life, and it was a very church thing. It wasn't something I found anywhere else. You wouldn't find it happening in the Kmart. We didn't have Walmart back then. You wouldn't find it happening in Kmart. You wouldn't find it happening down in Kroger. You wouldn't have it in all these places. It didn't you didn't find it there. That was a very church thing. So as I grew up, I, I learned, you know, how to do it. It was something that I had heard so much. And when I began to do it, I had, you know, I knew I had to learn all the motions and I needed to sound just like I was supposed to, because the last thing you wanted to do is to say, well, I'm a Christian and you didn't know how to pray. You didn't know how to sound right. You had to do it the right way, start it the right way, end it the right way, use the right words, sound exactly like you're supposed to. I mean, that was what it was to pray. It was a special thing we did at church. Now, that was as a kid. Obviously, later as an adult, I learned that prayer wasn't exactly what I thought it was. But at the same time, let's be honest, guys. What most people call prayer today and what we hear in churches throughout our country and even in the Western world, it's pretty much what I observed it to be as a kid. It's really not that much different because most people, they just go, they go on merrily about their lives and never really stop to think about what prayer is. I mean, prayer is just kind of lobbing this up into the sky. It's something I'm supposed to do. I mean, we talk about, well, you know, just pray about it and that, that sometimes that means nothing. I mean, how many times have you told somebody, well, I'll be praying for you, and then you actually don't pray for them? 
How many times have you absolutely exhausted every option you have at your disposal? And then when there's literally nothing left to do and you're to the point of desperation that you finally step in and say, oh, hey, um, God, yes, I'm going to go ahead and pray about this now because God, literally, there's nothing else I can do. It's completely out of my hands. So since I haven't trusted you up to this point, I guess I'll go ahead and give you a shot as my final Hail Mary, last ditch effort. I'll give you that response and we'll just, we'll give you a chance. God, this is your chance. You're kind of like last string on the team. Maybe now you can do something, you know, since everything else that I have failed. It's kind of our approach to, let's just be honest. Now, I'm not, this is not a guilt trip message. All right. This is not a, you should pray first about everything. Look, we'll get into other some of the other episodes we'll cover at a time. We're going to talk about your personal responsibility, what faith is, what dealing with God is, what that relationship is as far as acting in faith. Because I'm not saying you should never go to the doctor. You should just pray all the time. There's a difference and there's a balance, okay? So it's not that you all of a sudden don't do anything without prayer. In fact, what we'll begin to see as we really get into this, as we get down this trail, is that prayer, and this may be a little bit later on, but when we really get into this, you're going to see that prayer is more of a lifestyle. Than, and there isn't. There are several aspects to it. It's more of a lifestyle, kind of the way Paul's presenting it. Something you should be doing at all times. Something you should begin to practice, kind of like somebody who adjusts the way that they breathe, the way that they walk. When you fix your stature, when you do, it becomes something you incorporate into every moment of every day. This is what is in view. This is what God is looking for, and what Paul is talking about. Okay. So most of us don't stop to think about what prayer is. We don't really stop to figure out why is it important. You know, it's just something we go, especially if you grew up in church. Now, now maybe you came later in life and it's been something that you've been wondering about. Everybody talks about it. You don't really see why it's so important. Everybody keeps talking. Or maybe it's something that for you, this is just, you know, this is your thing. You love prayer. You spend countless hours before God. For all of us, this is an important discussion to have because we need to fully understand what prayer is and why it is so important if we're really going to be able to engage in it properly. So for me, I grew up, again, it was something you did. You knew how to pray. You knew what to do. You are talking to God, this kind of stuff. But as I went through life, as I became a young adult and I was off in college, I remember somebody posed the question to someone. It wasn't actually even me, thank goodness, at the time. He posed it to someone else. And they really said, well, why would anyone waste their time praying? Now, this shocked me because as a good Christian boy, I'd been sheltered from a lot of interaction with you know, the heathen and the pagans. So I didn't have a lot of confrontation with people who didn't see the same way I did. It was really not something on my radar. I didn't even plan on that happening. When it did, of course, my first instinct, the, the proper Christian in me, just bucked at the idea that someone would even question prayer. Like, oh my goodness, who are you to question prayer? But as the person was asked this question, and it was, it ended up being more of a rhetorical question. I didn't get to hear a response. I began to think about, well, how would I respond? You know, because obviously he's dead wrong. You know, prayer is super important. But then I realized the more I thought about it, that I didn't really have a good answer. And the answer that I would have given was really lame. I mean, it was lousy to the point of sounding like an idiot. If I had actually had to explain why it was important, I didn't even know. I realized that I did not really understand prayer. 
I didn't get it. It, it was not something that for somebody who didn't already believe in it, would, it would even make sense that, you know, well, it's, it's talking to God. Okay. Why would you do that? What does that do? I don't even believe in God. What the, okay. So I realized there was no rational answer that I had. So what I'm going to do now, actually, is I'm going to pose that question to you. All right. I know I don't normally ask you to do a whole, I mean, we, we talk about putting this stuff into practice, but I'm turning it and I'm going to ask you, why is prayer important? Why is it important? I'm going to give you just a second to think about that while, as we progress here, be thinking about that. Why is prayer important? If someone asked you that, what would your answer be? Okay. Take a second, try to come up with a response. Now, remember when you're thinking about this, think about an answer that you would give a skeptic, someone who doesn't even believe in prayer, but somebody who would at least be able to respect you and your opinion because you have a rational, logical response as to why it's important. Because remember, you're not going, anytime you have interaction with these kind of people, you know, your atheists, your people who don't believe in all these things, anytime this happens, you are not there to try to convert someone most of the time. Okay, now God can use that. We see that with Paul. We've heard stories of people. When the power of God comes on you and he works through you, yes, there can be a miraculous things. But usually this kind of confrontation, you're planting a seed. You're not there to see a conversion, and you're probably not even going to convince them you're right. But if you have the right response, they will remember what you said. So this is part of that outreach, part of the gospel. This is why that's important to be prepared. But give me an answer as to something that somebody would at least find logical and rational. You know, as Peter tells us, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Why do you pray? Why is this important? And so now you've had a few minutes to think. My question to you now is, do you have a response? Because if you were like I was, you very well may not. This may actually be the first time that you've stopped to really think about this. Like I said, new Christian, old Christian, this is not something we talk about a whole lot. You go to God in prayer, he saved you, he rescued you. And for some of those that came to God later in life, those prayers had radical consequences and we're greatly appreciative of God. But we still don't fully understand this prayer thing. We just gave it up and uh God helped us out. He stepped in. Like it says, Jesus is there as our interpreter. He's in there helping to intercede for us, for God to help our prayers. The Holy Spirit is praying in ways that we can't even mutter, that we can't even speak. So God's really here helping us with it. But what is it? All right. So now as we ask that question, I do want to help make it a little bit simpler. There's two parts to why is prayer important. Okay. There's two questions. It's the what and the why. We're actually only going to be able to get to the what today due to time constraints because there's a lot in this that we're going to unpack. We'll talk about the why next week, but there's the what is prayer and why do we pray? Today we'll talk about what is prayer. So when I was a kid, I've kind of alluded to it already, but when I was a kid, I remember being really nervous about praying because again, you, you had to say all the right words. You had to sound just right. And I didn't want to do it wrong. It's just, you know, this is prayer. This is a big deal. I don't know why it's a big deal, but I know it's a big deal. And I remember someone, it may have been my parents or a Sunday school teacher, but somebody telling me, David, praying is just talking to God. So just talk to God. Just tell him. 
talk to him. Now, this is true. I'm not here to say that prayer is not talking to God. Prayer does involve communicating with the Lord, with God Almighty. But it's bigger. It's a bigger picture than that. There's more to it. And that's what we want to get into today. It's not simply just talking to God. In fact, I, as you'll see at the end of today's discussion, seeing it simply as talking to God can actually be the thing that gets in your way and prevents prayer from being what it needs to be for you. Because that's, that's so rudimentary. That is a very elementary and very superficial, childish understanding of what prayer is. Now, to help you get an idea of what I'm beginning to get at here, we're going to go to a biblical picture because that can be worth a lot in our discussion to understand what we're talking about here. So I'm not, you can turn if you want. Um, this is in Esther chapter four, verse 11. You'll see why I'm using this particular reference out of Esther, which by the way, guys, Esther is not a girl only book. It's in the Bible. There is a lot in there. Um, we can learn a lot from Esther. We can also learn a ton from Mordecai. So I'd recommend you study the entire book. Uh, that's just my little, you know, a little ad announcement for the book of Esther. Lots of value there. Don't let it be sold short to you. Okay. All right. So Esther 4.11 says Esther responding to Mordecai. And this is what she's making a statement. And you'll see what I'm getting at here. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or any woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. All right, so let's, let's sum that up. If you go to the king in the inner courts, that's where he's seated. That's where you would go to have a conversation with the king. If you go there without being summoned, you die. Only in the event that he decides to forgive you of that horrific violation of his sovereignty and of his presence would he extend it to you and we see in Esther's story that he does extend it because God gives him gives her favor with the king tremendous favor but she's making a very clear statement no one just comes before the king no one just busts in where he's at and interrupts anything you are dead on the spot it's immediate and, I, and it's actually bigger than that. All right, so that's what we're talking about here, coming into his presence. But I mean, let's think about those older days when we're talking about these kings. Pretty much everything that was required around the king, for the king, in his presence, if you worked for him, if you were one of his people, anything you didn't do right concerning the king was punishable by death. Everything with the king was such a big deal that you would die if you did it wrong. I mean, wrong robes, wrong demeanor, wrong type of bow. You, you didn't bring the right present. You served the wrong, you know, you used the wrong cup for his wine. You, you didn't bow in the street. You, all these little things you didn't do right. Maybe you were supposed to celebrate on a certain day and you didn't do it. All of them punishable by death because it's the king that we're talking about. All right. Now you may think, oh, well, that, you know, that's a pretty big, it is a big deal. And we don't live in a world like that anymore. For many reasons, thankfully, but we, we kind of have lost the, the, the sense of what this is. I mean, let me give you an example, another example from Esther. We won't go to the passage, but to give you an example of what we're talking about with the king's presence, Esther, along with every other version that they collected to, to show to the, to present to the king for him to decide on who he wanted to be a wife, every virgin 
that was collected, every virgin they went out and got, they had to spend 12 months going through the prescribed beautification process. Six months of oil with of myrrh and then the six, mo- of six months of perfumes. In that order, in that way, daily treatments before they were even allowed to go before the king. Okay, so this is just to go before the king in a prescribed manner. And again, you violate this, dead. So this is a big deal. Going before the king, I mean, there's no wonder why if somebody got audience with the king, it was considered a huge deal because you didn't just walk in. You had to be invited. I mean, there wasn't any reason where you could just approach the king. You had to be invited. All right. So this is a cool fact, cool history lesson, David. What does that have to do with prayer? All right. So let's, we're getting there. That this was a pagan king in a pagan land. Yet, human life could be ended without question if his presence was not rightly esteemed, honored, and feared. Okay? Now, when we pray, what's happening? Well, we're talking to God. You don't just talk to a king, as we just established. You don't just get to talk to the king. You don't, he doesn't have a cell phone. You don't call him up. And even if he did, you can't even get a hold of your own doctor, much less the king. Good luck. Go ahead and call the president. See how that works out for you. You don't just talk to a king. He has to want to talk to you. And then you have to be summoned. And then you have to do everything just right so you don't die. Okay? Scripture repeatedly speaks about entering God's presence, entering his courts, being in the throne room. And it uses all of that imagery to call to mind what happens in our physical world when it comes to being before a king to help us understand that if a mortal king is to be honored in such a way, how much more the supreme king of the universe, okay? The guy that is over everything. I don't even want to call him a guy. God, the supreme almighty spirit that is over everything, that created everything. If you're coming into his presence, how much more if you're going to treat an earthly human king that way, how much more do we need to treat him with that esteem, honor, and reverent fear? Okay? And it wasn't just in this imagery that we see that's used with coming into God's presence, throne room, all that stuff. It's actually in the tabernacle setup. We saw that the high priest who had been designated the high priest was had to wear the right robes, perform the right sacrifices, and enter at the right day, at the right time, in order to survive standing before the presence of God. Okay? It had to be the high priest, and he had to do all that stuff right, or he was a dead man. It was so severe that if you look at the traditions of the Jewish people during that time, they would actually attach a rope to usually either the waist or the foot or something. They, they would, there was a, that's a story that's not in scripture, but they talk about that as something that they would do just in case they walked in and were unworthy. They needed a way to get that body out because they couldn't go in to get him or they'd all be dead. I mean, it was so intense. If you were going to survive the presence of God, you had to do it the way he said, or you were gone. Okay. Now this is all a very important discussion. Okay. So, But if we stopped here, it's kind of like, well, we can't pray. Okay, all we're doing is just talking to nothing. We're not even in God's presence. We can't get there. No, that is also untrue because that's what Jesus came to do. 
remember we said that the high priest had to offer a sacrifice. It had to make him worthy because of the blood that was shed for himself. And he was a representative of the people. He had to have all that in order to go into God's presence. Well, Jesus came, he died, he shed his blood as the Lamb of God, as the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all. Okay? Now, well, how did Jesus make that difference? And did God really consider Jesus worthy enough or sufficient to break that tradition, to open that door for us to be able to come in? Look, when Jesus died, the veil in the temple, that they still had the veil, even when they built the temple, they kept the same tabernacle set up because the tabernacle was just a mobile temporary version of what the temple was supposed to be. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place that only the high priest would go, that veil was so violently ripped in two when Jesus died completely top to bottom. Let me just say something. You couldn't do that with bare hands. The way this thing was sewn, it was huge, thick. I mean, you'd be like basically trying to pick up a carpet and rip this thing. And it, from top to bottom, this thing was much taller than any human could have reached. This thing ripped top to bottom. God made it very clear that Jesus' sacrifice opened that door for us. It made a way for us to be able to come into his presence. So, yes, we have access. But when we say, what is prayer? And we say, yes, it's talking to God. It's, that's a very rudimentary understanding because you don't just talk to a king. So the actual better definition I would propose for what is prayer is that it is an audience with the king. But remember, we're not talking about just any king. We're talking about the king, the supreme and sovereign king. Okay, so you were talking about what is prayer. It is an audience with God Almighty, the king of the universe. That is what it is. Okay, scripture tells us that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Who are these focused on? God. They're not focused on us. We don't enter into his gates with, with requests, with wants, with needs. We come in talking about who he is because he is a king. You didn't do it. You didn't walk in to talk to the king. Anybody that wanted to talk to the king, praised the king, made the king feel like he was amazing and told him about how awesome he was before they ever even dreamed of asking for something. Okay. Even Esther, we saw that she had three meals with the king before she even brought up what she needed because she had to really establish that favor. And she did, and it worked. But that's the deal, all right? That is God. That is who we're talking about. Now, you may be thinking at this point, all right, David, that's all really cool, but why are you making such a big deal about this going into the presence, about all this other stuff? Look, guys. God is a God of mercy, so he doesn't smite us dead when we come into his presence flippantly and without care or reverence. We've all done it. Some of us maybe have never not done it. Okay, that's the point I'm getting at here is that so many of us have done our entire lives. I'm one of them. I've spent way too much time praying the wrong ways, coming into God like he was some genie, okay, that I just get, you know, I come in and so I got, here's your to-do list for the day. I need you to do this, 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 and this. Okay, he's not a genie. We don't get three wishes. But even though God is a God of mercy and we don't know what we're doing when we pray sometimes, and God's answered our prayers because he's bigger and he knows of our ignorance. He knows us, okay? I'm not saying, now remember, just like this king, we can do stuff wrong and God can still choose to move on our behalf, but that is his prerogative. We screwed it up and deserve to die. But he chose in his mercy to ignore that and work on our behalf. But that doesn't change what prayer is. 
Just because you've done it ignorantly and God's listened to you before doesn't give you an excuse now that you're hearing this that you can continue to do things wrong. It's not how this works, okay? Our prayer can't be that. You don't tell God what to do. He doesn't work for you. He's not under you. He's over you. He is your king. And I'm telling you right now, guys, if we prayed to God wrong and he struck us dead for talking to him like the way that we've been talking to him, he would be fully justified in doing so. He has every right for our irreverence to just smite us dead on the spot. And you know what? No one could be upset with God because he is that holy and that sovereign. He would be completely justified in doing so. Praise God. He is not like that and does not do that to us. But I'm telling you, you need to understand who he is and what prayer is because it doesn't change. Just because you've been doing it wrong doesn't mean that it's somehow right. It's still wrong and we need to do it correctly and remember. So the point of this is, and is that God is so big and so holy and so mighty that we need to understand who we're talking to. Now, it's difficult for us today because nothing's really sacred anymore. I mean, think about it. In this world, nothing's sacred. Nothing's revered. There used to be a day and time where even if you didn't like the president, you respected him, honored him, you didn't talk bad about him. You know, there was this sense of honor. He's our president of our nation. We do... That's been gone for a long time now. And I know there's always been people that have talked bad about stuff, but there was certain standards. There were certain things that were considered sacred. There were certain things you wouldn't touch. Okay, There was a period in time where abortion would have been unheard of, something you would never even dream of. Pornography, homosexuality, all these things were completely hidden because they were considered things that you just didn't do. There were certain things that were sacred. Marriage was sacred. Even when people cheated, they knew what it was. It was wrong. Nothing's sacred anymore. People violated stuff, but it wasn't, but at least it was considered sacred. They knew what they were doing. They were being sacrilegious. They knew what they were doing. But no, now we have nothing sacred anymore. We feel we have the right to say whatever we want without conf- without consequences. Okay? Now I know in the United States we have the First Amendment that gives us the right to speak our mind and to say whatever we want. But remember, God is not president. He didn't compare us to a democracy. His is a kingdom and he is king. Those rules apply. So what am I saying, guys? I'm saying that whenever you go to pray, stop and think about who you are talking to. Because what is prayer? It is an audience with the King of Kings. It is the audience with God Himself. And when you do this, I promise you three things will happen. When you begin to pray this way, three things are going to happen for you. Number one, you're going to realize what an honor and undeserved privilege it is to even be able to pray. Okay. Number two, you won't keep praying the gimme gimme or heartless, mindless prayers that you've probably thrown up in the past. Like I said, I've done those two, not pointing fingers here. It's we all have done it and we all will do it if we're not careful. And number three, you'll begin to value that time and will actually experience his presence because you're going to, all of a sudden, it's going to be important to you. When you stop and pray, it's worth shutting everything else off. It's worth putting everything else down because you're in the presence of the king. You would not dream of treating him so lightly, so flippantly. You know that even you standing there is not good enough. You should die just to come into his presence because you're not worthy, but you've been given access. He invited you, so you take it, but you take it seriously when you step into his presence. 
That's what I'm asking you guys to do. That's what we are called to do as men of God, as part of his special forces. We are privy. We are special in the sense that he has called us into his inner courts. He has information for us. He has calling, duty, mission for us, for our families, for our communities, for our churches, that he's called us specifically to do. And we have got to take it seriously and step in and spend that time with him to get what he has. Okay. So prayer is your chance to stand before almighty God. This is your chance to stand before the King of Kings, you filthy peasant. Yes, that is what we are. Filthy peasants standing in the presence and in the court of Almighty God. We have no right to be there, but he asks us to come and he wants to hear what we have to say. So don't you dare do anything but give your best. You know, even a peasant would wash his face and do the very best he could to present himself because it's the King. We should do no less with our Lord and our Savior. But even when we come in in that way, what does God do? He actually stops, allows us into his presence, and he takes the time to listen. So value that. Understand he doesn't have to listen to you, but he chose to. So take that seriously. Use that time wisely and maximize it. Stop and think about this anytime you begin to pray. I don't want to hear about any of you all just saying, just sitting down with food and just say, good Lord. It's good food, good meat, getting cold, let's eat. Amen. No, I don't want to hear about that kind of sacrilegious, flippant prayer. Don't even pray then. Just say stuff. Don't insult our king in his presence in that way. All right? You deserve to die when you do that. Thankfully, he doesn't. But that's the truth. All right? Stop. Think about this when you pray. Think about who you're talking to and what is actually happening. I promise you it will transform your prayer life. All right, guys, we're out of time today. Um, Don't miss next week when we complete this discussion by answering the question of why do we pray? Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fastening Truth. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, many are called, but few are chosen. We'll see you next time.